Hello everyone, and welcome to the Voice of the Force podcast, Temple Archives, Episode 3, The Skywalker Siblings. My name is Noma, and I am joined here by my co-hosts, Dan and Ed. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing great. I had a great day at work, and I'm glad we are getting to record this episode with uh, Heir to the Jedi and Princess Leia. How about you, Ed? I am also great today because I am not at work anymore. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I'm excited to get down to these discussions. There's quite a bit to talk about these two. Quite a bit we want to share with you. Let's get to it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if you haven't heard this podcast before, uh, on Temple Archives, the point of this podcast is that we are going to summarize... Uh, Star Wars canon from one novel and one comic book that are current Star Wars canon. We'll be talking about how it relates to legends and canon material. We'll be having a summer or a discussion after the summary, just talking about the points that we liked or disliked, what we thought about the books and comics and all that kind of stuff, and also uh, where it fits into the timeline of the official canon. Before we begin, I just got two quick little uh, shout-outs. The first is that uh, this summary is going to have spoilers, uh, so there's a you know spoiler warning. Uh, we're going to go over the whole summary of the book to make sure that everybody's caught up to speed before we go into the discussion. So if you are interested in Heir in to the Jedi, I'd recommend pausing here, go and uh, read or listen to the novel, and then come back and rejoin us. Um, and then the second part is, you know, I say this every episode, but I still think it's it's important. Uh, we here fully endorse uh, supporting the official releases. Um, the summary is just for people who have you know, no interest in reading the novels and stuff like that, but still want to uh, be part of the discussion, or people who have read it and want to recap, uh, just to bring them up to speed. Um, you know, I, it, it is, I think it is good to you know, go out and support the official Star Wars products, because if we do, then Disney knows we like it and they'll keep... Uh, supporting Star Wars and bringing us new material. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we all love Star Wars and we don't want it to end, so supporting is probably the best way to do that. Anyways, enough of me rambling, so without further ado, let's get into the novel. So, the novel is Heir to the Jedi. The author is Kevin Hearn, and the cover artist is Larry Rostand. Uh, also of note is that there is a special Brazilian cover art uh, for this book. It is made by a company called Two Dots, and it is uh, kind of spectacular. If you haven't seen it before, I would definitely check it out. It is really, really nice art. Heir to the Jedi. Prologue. The destruction of the Death Star brought new hope to the beleaguered Rebel Alliance. But the relentless pursuit by Darth Vader and the Imperial fleet is taking its toll on Alliance resources. Now the Rebels hide in an outer rim orbit from which they can search for a more permanent base and for new allies to supply much needed weapons and material. Luke Skywalker, hero of the Battle of Yavin, has cast his lot with the Rebels, lending his formidable piloting skills to whatever missions his leaders assign him but he is haunted by his all-too-brief lessons with Obi-Wan Kenobi and the growing certainty that mastery of the Force will be his path to victory over the Empire. Adrift without old Ben's mentorship, determined to serve the Rebellion any way he can, 
Luke searches for ways to improve his skills in the Force. Part 1. The Arms Dealer The story opens after the Battle of Yavin and the Death Star's destruction. Alone, Luke Skywalker mentally voices his frustrations and inability to continue his Jedi training since Obi-Wan's death. Having no knowledge of the Force, and having lost his only teacher, Luke has been unable to develop his talents since the, De the Death Star attack when Ben spoke to him. His thoughts are put on hold as he reports to Leia and Rebel Command and is tasked with a two-part mission. The first is to visit the Lanik system and perform recon. The second is to visit the Rodia system and secure an agreement with a Rodian clan known as Clan Chiku. Though Rodia is under Imperial control, Clan Chiku silently opposes the Empire and smuggles for their rivals, which would make them a valuable contact for the Alliance. For his mission, Luke is given a ship called the Desert Jewel, a luxury yacht tuned for speed and handling over firepower. He admires the ship and is introduced to its owner, a beautiful, dark-skinned, curly-haired woman named Nakari Kellen, and the two connect over their love of ships and shared dislike of being raised on a desert planet. Luke departs for his mission. However, upon arriving at Lanik, he finds a pair of TIE fighters attacking a Kapoan ship that is desperately trying to escape them and a nearby Star Destroyer. Though Luke understands that attacking the Empire will blow his cover, he is unable to sit by and watch the Kapoan ship be destroyed. Knowing the Star Destroyer and TIE reinforcements will not be able to reach him in time, he attacks the pair of TIEs and is able to destroy them, allowing the Kapoan ship to jump to hyperspace. Luke leaves soon after, knowing that the Desert Jewel has been tagged by the Empire for his actions. Luke arrives on Rhodia, and upon landing, notes that he makes a poor diplomat, as he is unable to disguise his revulsion to the smell of the planet. He meets with his contact, a female Rhodian named Lanit Chiku, who greets Luke and leads him to Clan Chiku's compound. Luke is given an extensive tour regarding the weapons and other devices Clan Chiku produces. He is also shown their smuggling warehouses and is told of the clan's tight security measures, as many of the other Rodian clans actively spy on each other. The next day, Luke meets with another Rodian, Tanich Sunta, and she states she has an odd question for him. Tanich asks if he is carrying a lightsaber, as she has noticed it under his jacket. Cautious, Luke asks what would happen if he did, and Tanich replies she would be fascinated. She tells Luke that her uncle was a Jedi and fought in the Clone Wars, and the two bond over having family in the Jedi Order. Luke tells Tanich he is trying to become a Jedi, and she tells Luke that her uncle is buried on Rhodia. Luke asks if it would be possible to see his grave, internally interested if a Jedi's tomb would contain anything that would help his training. Luke and Tanich head to her uncle's grave, encountering the native fauna along the way. They are able to make it to the grave, and within lies a Rodian lightsaber. Tanich gives the lightsaber to Luke, stating that it is a gift for a Jedi. Luke thanks her, and the pair return to Clan Chiku's compound. Luke attempts to study the Rodian lightsaber, and though he is able to learn that the kyber crystals within the blade can only be put in place with the Force, he also dismantles the lightsaber in the process. He is interrupted by Tanich, who tells him that the Empire have put out a wanted notice for the Desert Jewel, and Luke must leave before opposing Rodian clans rat him out.
Luke thanks her, secures an agreement with Clan Shaku, and departs. Part 2. The Search Returning to the Alliance, Luke speaks with Leia and apologizes for attacking the Empire, thus putting the Desert Jewel on a wanted list. Leia tells Luke the Capone ship he rescued was a spy ship and has valuable information for the Alliance, as well as his next mission. Luke is to head to the Denon system and extract a given cryptologist named Drusil Beforen. Drusil is a code-breaking genius, forced to work for the Empire to encrypt their systems and break local rebel security. However, she is willing to work with the Rebellion if they extract her and her family and move them to the, the deserted, deserted Omeroth system. Drusil's family is on a different planet and will be rescued by Major Durlin. For his mission, Luke will be paired with Nakari Kellen, who aside from being the Desert Jewel's owner, is a formidable sharpshooter. Luke argues that in order to increase the mission's odds, the Desert Jewel will need to be upgraded with better weapons and shielding. Nakari states that they can run a mission for her father, a wealthy businessman, to make enough credits to outfit the Desert Jewel, and the pair depart to speak with Nakari's father. Nakari's father is Fayette Kellen, who runs a successful business called Kellen Biotech. He is a short, portly man who has a strange tendency to call his employees minions, though he ends his sentences by complimenting them. He tells Luke and Nakari that he needs them to go to a previously uncharted system named Fex. As an uncharted system, it has immense value to him, as he gets first claim to any important finds it has. They have discovered the planet is full of creatures with hard, mineral-like shells around their heads. Unfortunately, the first team to go down to the surface was lost, and while the second team completed its mission, they went silent upon returning to the ship. He gives the two a holotape, outlining their mission, as well as specialized suits and stun sticks, then wishes them well. Nakare and Luke watch the holotape and learn that the planet has a predatory spider-like fauna that is able to turn completely invisible while conscious. It is also able to bore through its victims' skulls and devour their brains, which explains why the teams were attacked and why the native life protects their skulls. The suits they were given, though not fully tested, should be able to hold off the creatures till they are stunned, at which point the creatures will become visible again. The pair's mission is to investigate the second ship and try to find if the crew is alive or there are any survivors on board. Luke and Nakari ponder the mission. The two bond over food and testing out their suits, which have incredibly heavy helmets and can resist the stun stick shocks. Luke begins to develop feelings for Nakari as the two spend time together. The Desert Jewel arrives at Fex, and Luke and Nakari move into the second team's ship. At first, they find no one, though they find ten tubes that were designed to hold the brain-sucking creatures. The top five are unconscious. However, the bottom five have managed to escape their tubes. As the pair continue their search, they discover that the crew have been attacked and killed by the creatures. They encounter one and are quickly able to stun and kill it. Entering a medical room, Luke is ambushed by two that fall on top of each other. As the second creature is protected by the first, it is unable to be stunned and starts chewing its way through Luke's protective helmet. Luke is only able to survive by shooting the creature, leaving a burn mark on his helmet. Nakari is attacked by two which go for her hands, injuring her before she is able to kill them both.
Luke leaves Nakari to patch herself up in the medical room and is able to find the last crew member, barely alive, severely dehydrated, after locking himself in his room to escape the creatures. Luke also finds the man's journal and takes him to the med room. The two are able to return their ships to Kellen Biotech and are rewarded by Nakari's father. Part 3. The Rescue Luke and Nakari pick up R2-D2, then return to Rodia with their new funds. They run into a problem when the Rodian in charge of the landing pad tells them to leave and says that Tanich doesn't work for the clan. Luke attempts to use a Jedi mind trick on the Rodian by mimicking what he saw Kenobi do on Tatooine. However, he fails multiple times. Eventually, the Rodian is updated by an an unknown source and allows the two into the compound. Tanich apologizes and tells the two that security is absolute to prevent spying, so the Rodian on the landing platform was not told Luke and Nakari were clients. The two are able to have the Desert Jewel repainted and upgraded with weapons and shields before they head off to Dinan. Upon reaching Dinan, Luke and Nakari head towards their contact on the planet, a Kapoan named Saket, who works at a local noodle shack. After making contact and buying some noodles, the pair are told to return the next day. Over their noodle dinner, Luke asks Nakari why she joined the rebellion. Nakari reveals that her mother was a singer who made a parody song mocking Darth Vader, and as a result was sentenced to the Spice Mines of Kessel by the Dark Lord himself. Luke reveals his own animosity towards Vader, revealing that his father was a Jedi Knight betrayed by the Dark Lord of the Sith. He also states that he is trying to become a Jedi, which enthralls Nakari. Luke attempts to impress her by trying to move a noodle with the Force, and is partially successful, which delights Nakari. The next day, the two meet with her contact, Saket. She takes them on a delivery run, which stops close by the compound where their target, Drusil, is being held. They are given a list of locations Drusil visits on a regular basis, and the times she does. Saket also reveals that her son was on the Kapoan shuttle that Luke saved and she gives him a list of Kapoan contacts he can use if he is in trouble. The two spend the next day shadowing Drusil as she is at the park, noting her security consists of a security probe droid and six bodyguards. They eventually form a plan to rescue Drusil the next day, while she is visiting a cafe. Luke hides in the sewers beneath the cafe, and as Drusil approaches, R2-D2 stuns the probe droid while Nakari snipes the nearest guards. Luke calls for Drusil to follow him, and she complies. Their escape plan is perilous, and though Drusil is able to escape the sewers, Luke is forced to face her remaining guards. He is able to barely block their stun rounds and holds them off before Nakari is able to catch up and snipe them, allowing Luke's escape. As the group leaves on a hidden speeder, they take pains to switch their speeders in a parking structure before escaping which goes off without a hitch. I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm here to rescue you. Part 4. The Hunted As the Desert Jewel jumps to hyperspace, Luke and Nakari plan their route to Omarith. Luke attempts to woo Nakari, but is interrupted when the ship is ripped from hyperspace by an interdictor cruiser. During the battle, Luke is desperately able to connect with the Force, and using it and their upgrades which include a seismic charge, he is able to destroy the interdictor. However, 
In the process, one of their sublight engines is destroyed. Not wanting to take chances, if they are ambushed on Amarith, the group decide they need to get their engine repaired. Using his list of Kapoan contacts, Luke is able to make contact with a Kapoan courier named Azur Nessen and dock at his facility. At first, Azur is furious that Luke and Nakari have brought a ship wanted by the Empire to his shipyard, stating that Luke and Nakari have bounties on their heads, and Drusil has an enormous bounty on her if she is returned to the Empire safely. Nakari is able to entice him with the location and name of Fex, the planet her father asked them to investigate, which is worth, worth a fortune due to its previously unknown presence. Azur tells the group it is still dangerous as his workers may be spies for the Empire and notice their wanted ship, but Drusil promises she can use her code-breaking skills to find information on Azur's workers. The next day, while waiting for their ship to be repaired, Drusil tells Luke and Nakari that two of the Kapoans working for Azur have not shown up for work. Luke and Nakari track down one of the workers and manage to stun him. However, Agotal shows up stating he is the Kapoan's friend and contact, forcing Luke and Nakari to stun him after a brief fistfight. They are able to tie up the two and keep them in Luke's hotel room with R2 guarding them. During the repairs, Luke tells Drusil about his Jedi heritage and the given is able to increase Luke's understanding of the Force through her much more logical and mathematically driven nature. Luke is able to go from moving a noodle to moving an entire fork laden with noodles with their help. The day the Desert Jewels repairs are finished, Luke is ambushed by Azur's second Capone worker, who is also an Imperial spy. Azur is killed in the confrontation, and Luke's group is barely able to escape. In space, above Kapoa, the group is faced with a pair of Star Destroyers and an interdictor cruiser. Drusil is able to slice into their communications and reveals that the battle group is unsure if the Desert Jewel is the ship they are looking for, as Azur changed their ship transponders before his death. As the Imperials flounder, Drusil tells Luke there is a chance they can escape. She believes she can chart a hyperspace route with her powerful mathematical skills, and aided by R2, the group decides to try it, rather than fight their way through the Imperial Battle Group. Part 5. The Force. The group's trust in Drusil pays off, and they are able to make their way to Omerith, jumping through multiple different parts of uncharted space. The group attempts to land on the ocean world of Omerith. However, as they make their way to the landing point, they are intercepted by a pair of bounty hunters. They are outgunned by the hunters. However, one of the bounty hunters attempts to destroy the Desert Jewel and is destroyed by the second bounty hunter as a result. Though not destroyed, the Desert Jewel is critically damaged and Luke is forced to divert to a nearby island and crash lands the yacht in a lagoon. The group is able to escape, and though they are pinned by the second bounty hunter, he is taken out of the fight when a massive eel erupts from the lagoon and devours his ship, thinking it is food. Before the group can celebrate, another six bounty hunter ships arrive, and the group decides their best chance is to split up, with Luke and Drusil leading the hunters away when Akari and R2 provide support. Luke and Drusil take up their positions, and the group are able to kill the first four bounty hunters with little trouble. However, as Luke and Drusil attempt to flank the remaining hunters, one unseen hunter arrives with a grenade launcher and fires on Akari's position. Though Luke is able to reach out with the force and find the hunter, 
he is unable to stop him from firing again and killing Nakari. Luke is tortured by the feeling of Nakari's presence being silenced in the Force, and has his first brush with the dark side as cold, empowering rage courses through him. He is barely able to control himself and not harness the dark side, and as he does, the two remaining bounty hunters attack each other over the prize. With the survivor being killed by Luke and Drusil, the pair and R2 are able to take one of the bounty hunter's ships, and Luke returns to take Nakari's body with them, despairing that he was not strong enough to prevent her death. The group are able to link up with Major Durlin, whose team has been able to rescue Drusil's family, and Luke departs with the Major and his team. The story ends with Luke eating alone, reminiscing his time with Nakari. With her memory, he is able to move his fork once again with the Force, and resolves to use his memory of her when using the Force, as her belief in him is a comforting memory. So, that is the summary for Heir to the Jedi. An interesting novel. Uh, Dan, Ed, what are you guys' thoughts on this book? Ed, I'm going to give you this one, buddy. <laughs> Absolutely. So, first thing, first thing out of anything I took from this book, we all knew it. Everybody knew it. <laughs> Y'all knew that Rodeo would smell terrible. All right? <laughs> <laughs> but tell me I'm wrong. I love in the no. document here, you have it written down as Rodia's natural scent. <laughs> it's powerful musk. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wouldn't you want that channeled like, into a, a, a cologne for us? Come on. Right? Like, no diplomat could get through that. They gave Luke an impossible job to do from the start, the fake being one. Like, no. That that just doesn't work for me. I uh, That's so blatantly like, yeah, see that guy who Han Solo shot? Because we don't see his name. He's a Rodian. He stinks. <laughs> <laughs> he literally smells that, like Rodia's natural scent. Right? Like, I don't know. That was just some rude thing to put in there. But funny. So, because that, you know, you just keep reading because you think it'll get better. Um, yeah. <laughs> but moving on from that, the, you know, in Star Wars, while you don't see as much science as Star Trek, it was kind of interesting to see somebody rely on their, like, powerful mathematical skills that mm. would get them out of a situation. Like, usually it's just like, oh, there's a door, blast the handle, or go stick mm. a lightsaber in it, and we'll get through. It's like nobody ever trying to be like, um, I'm going to figure out how to just open this door. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you're yeah, right. We, so, we kind of skimmed over it in the, no worries, uh, we kind of skimmed over it in the summary, but yeah, Ed's right. Um, math is basically a magical power in this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There are, yeah, there's a lot of things that Drusil is able to predict with math. Um yeah, the the um the given race like species, um mm-hmm. they are basically like their greetings Solid. are mathematics, mm-hmm. right? So that's another thing like mathematics for that species of alien is like it's lifeblood. They they also if you look up their image online, uh, G I V I N. It looks skeletal. They, yeah, they look like weird halloween costumes like <laughs> definitely i was surprised but when i when i saw that but it explains the voice that was done in the book on the audiobook because mm-hmm. when they when mm-hmm. was it mark thompson i believe it was mark thompson on this one let me just double check that um but when the voice actor was doing it 
uh, you could definitely things like sounds almost ghastly. Almost a little bit. Yeah, yeah. it's Mark Thompson. It was Mark Thompson. So, but yeah, like some of the things that I, I remember is um, when they're fighting the bounty hunters at the end, Luke's trying to get into a good position, and Drusil is like, uh, "If we hide over here." Uh, Nakari would be able to cover us at a better position, and looks like you can't you can't see her. How would you know that? And Drusil's like, with the power of math, I can take these angles. Yeah, and triangulate put them in a certain way. Yeah, triangulate the best position for us. And I was like, all right, that makes sense, but I'm a little bit confused. The interesting thing that uh, I liked about it was when at the end, when they kill the bounty hunter with her math, she's like, shoot there. Oh yeah. And then he's like, oh, all right. He shoots, yeah. and then you hear like, ah, oh, and he's like, shoot again. <laughs> Kills the bounty hunter out of like yeah. the corner of his eye. In a bush, was, and, he's, was, and she's like, "Was yep. that one? Yeah, was was that one math though? Because if I remember correctly, she's like, according he, to the power of math, he's hiding behind the biggest tree there." And I was like, "I don't, I don't think that's math." Yeah, she was just like, <laughs> "Out of all the positions here in front of us, that would be the position I would choose." And it's like, okay, all right. It's like she had, you know what? She had a probable chance of being right. That's still math. She was yeah. definitely right. I mean, yeah, <laughs> she was right. <laughs> But uh, I think just branching off that for a quick sec, the only other character we may have seen that uses this mythical power of math uh, to this extent, if not more, is Thrawn. Yeah, oh, that's true. Right, like everything we see him do, it's always except it's always as well. It's always, She's not exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's I did that's like Drusil's character in this book. Like out of all the characters that we met in this book. I would say Drusil is probably one of my favorites. I don't know yeah, about you guys. Fair. Like, if you think about all the characters that are in there. Yeah. Well, I mean, the one thing with this book, we were talking about it a little bit before, is um, it's a very odd book because none of us could actually remember any of the character names except for, like, the main characters afterwards. Um, I got remember Luke, Nakari, and Drusil, and that was it. Yeah, there's a lot of characters that were introduced that were just like minor characters, but yeah, they did need it. They did need uh, names, I guess. You know. Yeah, that's true, but it's a little bit interesting, I guess. Uh, Granted, I can barely remember the names from some of the other books we've already done, so maybe I'm just talking out of my butt. No, there was a lot of characters (laughs) introduced. I I feel the same way. Mm Hmm. Okay. Um, so, yeah, Ed, what else? Yeah, yeah. So just being um, with Luke and his mind, because you remember in Episode Four when Obi Wan lies to him, basically, it's just like, oh, Darth Vader kills your father, mm-hmm. kind of thing. With us having just Vader around so much now, knowing who he is, you kind of just, well, it happened for me, where it's just like it's always slipped my mind. It's like, yeah, Luke, we know the whole big reveal, I am your father thing. I don't mm-hmm. think of it much beyond that anymore. So it's just like you see him thinking about like, yeah, my father was a great Jedi and didn't kill him. It's like, you, you idiot. You, oh, wait. Yeah, right. This mm-hmm. is, you don't know. Yeah. Like that. I, I keep getting that. And it's like, yeah, that's, this is actually a big time for him. He knows, he literally knows nothing. Yeah. Cause this is immediately after the Death Star, right? Exactly. And so that, that was constantly being in my head. Just being like, oh yeah, Luke, look at you. You can move a noodle. Yeah, that was just wait, just just wait <laughs> till you see like the flips and everything you can do in episode six. Then yeah, right. Yourself. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness, the noodle. But uh, should we get that out of the way right now? Yeah, just go for it. <laughs> when I first read the book, I heard about the noodle scene. I had no idea what it like what it was. I just heard the noodle scene, 
and I was like, oh god, I, I can just imagine like something stupid happening, and mm-hmm. it was interesting that that was what he tried to scoot across the table uh, with the force, the noodle. Um, <laughs> how did you guys? How did you guys enjoy that scene? Or well, all it did for me was remind me of um, when Anakin was like cutting the apple for Padme. Or what was always oh, like, space, yeah, feeding space the apple. apples, yeah, and like, <laughs> like floating it over to her. But like, the funny thing with this is that he was just casually doing it because he'd been training for years, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. And just like, yeah, here you go. Here, aren't I great? Aren't I the best? Don't you love me now? <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah, those could have been the lines in the movie. I'm just saying, but you see Luke desperately trying to impress this girl, and it's like, buddy, buddy, hey. stop. Hey, he's he's carrying on the Skywalker tradition. <laughs> Failing at it. <laughs> yeah, my yeah, exactly. My takeaway was similar where it was just like, hmm, I see the power of lust is stronger than than uh, the desire to be a good spy because they do it out in the open in a park. Right? <laughs> yeah, he's like, huh, you know, the Jedi are super outlawed and illegal, but I'm going to show you I'm a cool guy. Look at me wiggle this noodle around. That's a terrible euphemism. And then when she's when yeah, when she yeah, in the park. My <laughs> god. And then she's like, oh, "It's it moved. It moved." And then he's like, "Did you move the noodle?" Like it was just like weird conversation with it. Um yeah. and she's like, "No, I'd never do that." And um it was just it was just a weird scene in general. I, I feel like there could have been a definitely a better one like a stone. You know, or something. Mm-hmm. Why a noodle? But anyway, uh, that's the noodle scene for all those who were hearing about it but never actually heard, like, understood what the scene was. There you go. You know what? Segwaying off that little forest noodle scene, just that scene in general, another thing was, like, Luke being a normal, to some extent, te- like, teenager, kid. Mm-hmm. When it's just like, you know, hey, I'm with girl. I like girl. I can do thing to impress the girl. It's like, weren't we all trying to do the same things when we were kids, right? Yeah, because he's like a yes. teenager right now. Yeah. He's got no... Well, his aunt and uncle, all they wanted him to do is farm, so nothing, nothing to see, nothing to see there. Mm-hmm. No parents, so he's not going to know anything about this. So just being like, hey, I like you. I don't know why. I really, <laughs> I really did enjoy the relationship that Nakari and Luke had with each other. Mm-hmm. she would always poke fun of him because he's kind of an inexperienced kid right yep um they're around mm-hmm. i'm assuming they're the same age it didn't really say what nakari's age was but i did enjoy the relationship that was the one thing about this book that i really did enjoy and i'm very sad that it was cut short at the end of the novel um that the relationship didn't fall apart for some other reason but it was the death of nakari that kind of helped makes luke's encounter with the, the dark side of the force and as well just make him move on from this encounter right mm-hmm. um this is something that as of right now in canon has not been brought up yeah outside yeah. of this book and it's the the death i think is uh, nakari's death is especially kind of jarring because the, this book could have a subtitle that's called everything goes on like 90 percent of this book is basically everything goes smoothly there is no real problems that they run into in the book like none of the things that luke does um have bad repercussions for him like the the thing we were talking about with the force in the park that anyone could have seen nobody sees that 
Um, his their mission to to grab Juso goes off without a hitch. Like I mean, they do get bit. damaged and they have to go down. There's a little bit of a run in with like people that may turn them into the Empire, and they have to kind of problem solve there. So there's a little bit yeah. of a hitch there. Yeah, but there, there's never there was never really a point in the novel where I was like, oh no, I wonder if they'll be able to make it out of this situation. True. Um, and then Nakari bites it, and I was like, oh, oh, but she's still alive, right? And no, she's dead. Probably like, yeah, Luke is like, I felt I felt her her presence be uh, snuffed out with uh, in the forest, and I was like, oh, 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 she did. One oh, of those boy. perma deaths, then. Yeah, exactly. Like, it was kind of like an off camera death too. Yeah, and and I was I, I was kind of expecting it because it's like oh here's the love interest that we've never heard about I wonder why exactly um, right I that's, yeah but it, like I said this is one relationship that I really liked with Luke because it was a it was a wholesome relationship that he had with her mm-hmm. like she supported him with uh you like learning about the Force and all this kind of stuff and she wanted to help him learn more about it by the end of this novel which she does um, mm. with that noodle scene and then later on by um, helping him with like Drusil and Drusil is the one that helps him because. Uh, she has that logical thinking, right? Just changing mm-hmm. his perspective. Um, but she was very... I liked her character. She would probably be my second favorite character in this book. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, the other thing we should also mention um, is that the one really interesting part of Heir to the Jedi is that the entire book is written in a first-person perspective. Yeah, that's uh, the interesting thing too, yeah. That was mm-hmm. really... A lot of people didn't like that. I can yeah I can kind of see why it's it, it's a little bit awkward and you don't really get to shift perspectives around a lot because the entire thing is from Luke's point of view yeah um, but I thought it was neat it's a it's a nice experiment that I think could have could have been handled horribly but it was it was done pretty well I think in this book I have seen a few people saying that some of the things that Luke says or thinks are like really out of character for him to think just in turn like very advanced vocabulary and stuff like that but. It, I didn't really notice that. I didn't either. I, I can't Especially see in the why. reading of it from Mark Thompson on mm-hmm. the audiobook. Yeah, I think um, it becomes a lot more natural there. Definitely, he like, went to advanced farm school, <laughs> right? Um, he does show some of his kid kind of like farm boy esque knowledge, like the thoughts and things like that. He's like, I was, he was talking to Kari about something, and he's like, Yeah, I was heading over to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters. I never picked those up. Yeah. And it's just like, ah, full yeah. circle right there. That was, that's what really brought me into like the Luke Skywalker in this book where he's like, it's not just like Luke Skywalker esque kind of Luke, but no, it's like full on, like he's there. Yeah. 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 I was actually about to mention that he's drag. Cause I was like, Oh, that's, that's funny. Yeah. That was a good you remember one. He's got some there. Ed, do you have any other points? One other one really. Cause one of them didn't really make sense. Uh, but the whole right at the end when he's like, oh, I'm going to think of you whenever I use the force. And then that's what will make me strong kind of thing, which kind of ties off of Noma's first point. When it was like, so, yeah, using dark side A, it's like I thought we were supposed to be all, you know, clear minded. Like no, no attachments. Nothing. Right. But so he doesn't like, know that. No, that's what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. So. Like, here's where the kind of, let's lean a little towards the darker aspect of it (laughs) for a bit. And just to see, like, okay, he started off, and this could have gone terribly wrong. Didn't, Mm -hmm. but it could have. For sure. What about you, Dan? What do you think? 
Um, I have some points that were different than yours. Um, just some things that stood out to me, really. Uh, Nakari's spaceship. I want that spaceship. I don't know what it looks like exactly, <laughs> but the description. You're crazier about ships than I am. I love Dude, it. I don't know. I just, I just love spaceships in Star Wars. It's one of my favorite things. And Nakari's spaceship was this like red crescent moon like as what I kind of got from the description. Um, uh, luxury kind of small yacht type ship. Mm -hmm. um that was outfitted with like better engines and all this stuff and then they put this massive gun on it and they're like we're maxing this thing out um so i really enjoyed that i would love to see an artist's rendition of that ship if that ever is something that someone wants to create i would love to see what you think it looks like um that was one thing what did you guys think of that one i know noma's a, a, a big ship guy too so I also like how you're you're just casually like if any artists who are listening <laughs> if to anybody this, that likes star wars and is an ship. artist like no someone ma. on the podcast who can draw things. No ma um, can draw shit. Yeah, the, the first thing I thought of... <laughs> no ma draw this for me. Because I looked it up on the internet. As soon as I listened to the description, I'm like, I have a description mm. in my head about it, but I want to know what someone else thought it might look like. And I couldn't... Nobody made a drawing of this because probably nobody <laughs> read this book, to be honest. <laughs> the but... the immediate thing that it, it reminded me of when they were describing... Because they described it as, yeah, like the crescent moon, two wide sweeping wings, multiple sublight engines... It reminded me of I I think it's been in other material, but the last episode of Rebels, um, the ship that Ahsoka yes exactly yep yep yeah yep kind of reminded me of that except I think the wings were horizontal on in this book yes and in and in Rebels they're vertical but yeah it very much reminded me of that. Um, another thing that really stood out to me was Darth Vader parody song. I was like, yes, <laughs> please bring me that song. What was it called again? Oh, what was the name of that song? There, there was one thing with the song name that kind of took you out of it. Confused me. Oh, okay. Let me yeah, just look it up here. It seemed like there was a bit of meta information there. It was, it, it was called like the many prosthetic parts of Vader. Or yes, something. yes, and it was yeah. referencing his, his uh, genitalia. I'm assuming there. Well, I heard prosthetic parts, and I was like, "I does do people in the galaxy know Vader lost his limbs? Because that's yeah. a yeah, exactly, that's true. Specific song, yeah, that is very true. Maybe that's like why they, he put her then, on Kessel. You know, yeah, maybe she found I'm, out. I'm gonna be thinking, regu not to like not into the meta here, but like he did have Italian called Vader's fist, right? So mm. that could uh, be. Something like that. If he had like a bunch of legions, we just hear about the five hundred first the most because that's who he's with from the start. Oh, she's kind of referencing his squadrons. You think maybe? Maybe. I'm assuming it was I mean, supposed to be probably is like physically prosthetic parts, but that could be the case too. Because that mm. would be like just. I didn't think about that. I know it's a mockery, but it's so juvenile. I, I love the parody name for that song. It made me laugh <laughs> out loud. And if they say many, what does he have? Like three? Then I think like, yeah. I think they were for as a parody song like. It reminded me of, like, what if Weird Al Yankovic did a song for Darth Vader about his prosthetic parts? That would be it. That would be the song. So, um, that was that was interesting for me. Um, another thing was the Rodian Jedi. Um, and the lightsaber that Luke gets from him. I remember reading mm -hmm. through this, and I was thinking, is this where Luke gets that green crystal for his lightsaber in um. Return of the Jedi? But it's not. Um, yeah. this one he's just dismantling it to try and figure out the blueprints of a lightsaber and he does figure out that you have to use a force to assemble it because when he disassembles it the crystal comes out and he tries to put it back together and it's it's so 
uh, delicately put in there that it has to be used by the force. There's no other way to do it. So he kind of deciphers that, which is interesting. So this is kind of how he figures out how to make his lightsaber part of it anyway in the, Return of the Jedi. The, the lightsaber part's also interesting because, uh, like, I, I looked into it, and this novel was supposed to be extended universe, and then they changed it to... Um, New canon universe, yes. but yeah, yeah. Do you did you guys catch the color that the Rodian lightsaber was? It was amber, wasn't it, or something? I I thought I thought it was purple. Oh, maybe it is. I don't. I I thought it was like orange or something. I, I couldn't remember. <laughs> if neither of us can remember, that's that's remain, a bit of a problem. It was rainbow color. <laughs> was it green? Yes. Who knows? Let's look it up. Uh, Definitely red. Yeah right. He's, yeah, he's the, a Jedi. We buried him here. Guy. He was a Jedi, and then he's a, he's that, a Sith. Sith Lord. That would have actually been a neat. That would have been uh, twist. Well, vi- probably infuriating to some people, but that would have been an interesting plot twist. Darth Plagueis the Wise. <laughs> Rodian smells like. Have you, smells like have, the natural scent on Rodia. Have you heard the tale of Darth Musculus? <laughs> he had it's... a terrible odor. <laughs> but yet a very wise old man. <laughs> he could not find a way to cleanse himself. <laughs> Ironic, isn't it? He could remove anyone's scent except oh, his own. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love this conversation. Uh... <laughs> this podcast just got a hundred times better. <laughs> um let's see here no you're right it's an it was it says but it ripped Amber. into life with a thrumming energy a brilliant amethyst blade you're right amethyst Amethyst, mm-hmm. purple okay yeah. i think i wrote i read amber in my head I, I i had amber in my head but yeah amethyst makes sense okay yeah yeah and well that's interesting because with new canon um purple belongs to just mace windu and this rodian i th- yeah, well, it, it belongs to him specifically because they kept his um, extended universe canon where he had a force style or a lightsaber style that combines the light side and the dark side. Like they say, yeah. he walks the razor, the razor's edge of the dark side. Exactly. So they're like, yeah, so like, oh, red and blue makes purple. And I was like, oh, so was this guy also one of those people? Or he I could mean, have been but it's, training under Mace Windu. Possibly. Yeah, it could have could have been his one name of is the Hulik, uh, H-U-U-L-I-K. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I, I think it's more likely that because this was one of the first books to come out in new canon, they just didn't know and they were still using extended Fair or enough, anyone yeah. to get that color. Um, yeah, it was just, just something where they they said, oh, it was purple. And I was like, wait, what? What goes well with green? Purple. Sure. Why not? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's actually a very good point. Could have been that too. Um, another thing, the brain suckers. <laughs> that were on the planet. They were like the face huggers from aliens. Except they had drills in their mouths that would like drill into like hard carapaces and stuff that were on the planet. I thought mm-hmm. that was interesting and a really cool homage to Alien and the, the face huggers from that. Um that was pretty cool. I enjoyed that with the like crystalline kind of um bodies of all the animals there. That's why they're all covered in like crystals and stuff. Mm. So did you guys like that part? Uh, pretty much for that, I was actually reminded of the Clone Wars episode where those Geonosian, like, oh, those, nose tapeworm yeah, things. Yeah, the zombie worm things. Oh, yes. yeah. That, that's what I thought of immediately. Like, aliens definitely made sense. I was just like, no, nah, I was like, oh my god, yeah, like, they were taken over. They're, these ones are just straight up murdering. 
mm-hmm. to protect themselves. But... Exactly, mm. and they eat people's brains. And Luke makes the the idea. He's like, I wonder if they get smarter when they eat like all this brain matter. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, when they go after Nakari's hands. Exactly. I I did like how they have this whole thing. They have this whole foreshadowing part where they're putting on the suits and. Like oh the the hardness level on this is a nine out of ten and we think that the aliens' mouths are an eight out of ten so you should, should be, be invulnerable and then one lands on Luke and starts eating through the helmet and it's yeah. just like oh it didn't work it didn't work it didn't work it's a ten out of ten it's a ten out of ten yeah. <laughs> would not do this again <laughs> they also have a, a very weird thing because it's kind of a red herring um I, I mentioned it in the summary but basically once they find the last crew member. Luke also finds his journal and he's like, Oh, it's a journal filled with like all of his last memoirs. And like with this, we could know everything that happens to the crew. It could have a lot of valuable data in it. And then Luke takes it with him and it's never mentioned again. Oh yeah. Maybe, maybe it's like an off kind of out of scene where it's like R2D2 like record some of it inside of him or something. Yeah. Maybe could be, or maybe, but yeah, you're maybe right. He handed it over to Nakari's dad or it something. It could be. Yeah. But... Yeah, it was just it was kind of weird because I was a like, "Oh, end. this is gonna have." Yeah, I was like, "Oh, this will have a, some exposition, and we'll get to find out." Oh, they've gone on to the next planet. N- knowing us, they they probably did something with it. We just didn't catch it. <laughs> probably <laughs> that that might be true. <laughs> um, also, another interesting thing we were talking about High Galactic on one of the uh, past shows about one mm-hmm. of the languages in the Star Wars universe, and this is the first mention that I've heard in a book. That is a uh, mention of High Galactic when they're talking about passcodes and they're um, uh, trying to get back into, I think it's Drusel when she's at the apartment or not the apartment, mm. the hotel or whatever. So the they wanted to use High Galactic there for whatever reason. Um, even even High Galactic Squadron sounds better than Alphabet Squadron. High Galactic Squadron <laughs> at your service? Yeah, it makes me think of like like snooty Naboo nobles and like right. fighter jets, but still it's better than alphabet soup squad. I mean, alphabet squad. Alphabet soup. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, is, that is the first thing that comes to mind when I hear alphabet squadron. Nice. That's true. Mine or alpha Getty. Alpha Getty squadron. Yeah. Mine came with an A wing. Mine came with a B wing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, some other things, last couple things here or last one, I guess, cause we talked about Nakari and Luke's relationship and Nakari's death is Drusel helping Luke with the force. Um, that was interesting, and we mentioned this before, but I really enjoyed the scene where Luke has to change his uh, perspective to a different point of view for him mm-hmm. to kind of understand the Force in a more intimate way. And that plays into Episode 5 when Obi-Wan is saying, you know, everything is true from a certain point of view kind of thing. Yeah, I just thought that was kind of a cool little Easter egg as well. Um, but yeah, those are my yeah, thoughts. Yeah, I, I was... I was happy with how they they handled the force in the book because as soon as he started trying to move things, the first thought in my head as soon as the noodle scene ended was, <laughs> please, please don't make him move anything larger than a lightsaber. Yeah. Because as soon as he does, it's like, well, the X-wing is yeah, small now you, things now. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, now you, now you've you've taken all the suspense out of episode the beginning of episode five. Exactly. Um, but a lightsaber is heavier than a fork, so I have zero problems with that. True. And a noodle is lighter than a fork, so there you go. Yeah, just a little. <laughs> <laughs> just a tiny bit. Anybody have any last thoughts on Heir to the Jedi? That was pretty much everything I had. All right. Mm-hmm. On to Princess Leia. 
So with that discussion done, what would we give it out of 10? You want me to start this time uh, first? Yeah, go for it. Uh, five out of 10. Uh, Noma, what do you think? Uh, I'm with Dan. I think a, a solid five out of 10. It's, it's, it's a fun it's read not... for the material that's covered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting read. It's a neat story. At the end of the day, though, it doesn't really... You could literally never have read this, and you will mm-hmm. be missing nothing. Exactly. Which, right. I mean, to be fair, isn't necessarily a bad thing, because if they had done a major change for Luke, it would have annoyed me. Yeah, you know, that's fair. That, that we don't see that in the main movies. So, But unfortunately, yeah, you're, you've kind of... Um, What's the one I'm looking for? Cornered the writer into a spot, and he did. I think he did a good job with what he did. Yeah, but... that's actually a fair point. That's a fair point. Mm-hmm. Ed, what do you think? It's getting solid fives across the board. Boys. Wow, this is our first. <laughs> uh, everybody's on the same board here. Yeah. yeah. This is good. We're all on the same page. <laughs> Not too. That shabby. was a terrible pun. <laughs> all right. And now on to our second book, or comic in this case, for the podcast, Leia. So, uh, just like we said with Heirs to the Jedi before we begin, um, the summary for Leia is going to be very condensed, and it's going to miss a lot of the intricacies in the dialogue and stuff like that. And again, you know, we feel this is a fair trade-off because it's important to support the official release. I mean, by the time... I'm done this summary. You'll be caught up to speed on on all the events of the comic, but if you're interested, you know, you should go out, take a look at the the official stuff and, you know, support it because if we're not supporting it, then Disney's not going to keep producing more Star Wars material. Anyways, uh, with that out of the way, let's begin the summary. Princess Leia, written by Mark Wade, penciled by Terry Dodson, inked by Rachel Dodson, letterer Joe Caramagna, colorist Jordi Belair, cover artist Terry Dodson. Issue 1. The issue begins at the conclusion of Episode 4 during the award ceremony. Princess Leia delivers a speech commemorating those who died in the Death Star assault and for those who died on Alderaan. The speech is seen by many as too short and cold, for some of the rank and file, who mock Leia for being an ice princess. The ceremony ends quickly, as General Dodonna states that since the Empire knows Yavin 4's location, the rebels there must relocate their forces. As the rebels part, Leia spies a single pilot pausing before a statue of her parents. Leia speaks with Admiral Akbar and General Dodonna about increasing her mission roster and responsibilities within the Rebellion, stating she feels like she's being coddled or ignored. Dodonna responds by showing Leia that she now has a considerable bounty on her head and is to be guarded closely so that the Empire cannot capture her. Leia storms out and overhears the pilot, who is in front of the Organa statue, insulting her. Leia confronts the woman, who reveals her name as Yvonne, and she is an Alderanian loyalist, angry that she sees Leia as uncaring about her own parents' deaths. She also believes that as a citizen of Alderaan, she should protect Leia, though she admits that Leia is not doing enough to save what is left of Alderaan's heritage and people. She leaves Leia to think about what she said. 
The comic then cuts to General Dodonna, who is awoken by R2-D2 transmitting a message from Leia to him. Leia states that she has realized she needs to do whatever she can to protect every last citizen of Alderaan. To that end, she has left on a rescue mission to find whoever she can and reunite the Alderanian people. General Dodonna attempts to turn the transmission off, only to realize that R2-D2 is also a hollow transmission. The scene cuts to Leia and Yvonne, who are attempting to outrun the rebellion to begin their mission. Though Yvonne admits to Leia, she believes her idea is rash and not well thought out. They are pursued by Luke and Wedge, who attempt to stop Leia's ship from being able to jump to hyperspace. Though thanks to Yvonne, they are unsuccessful, allowing Leia to flee. Leia then tells Yvonne to get her to Naboo. Issue number two. The issue opens with Leia and Yvonne sharing a meal. Throughout it, Leia reminisces about her life with her father on Alderaan and his hopes for her to keep Alderaan peaceful and alive, which Leia believes she has to uphold with the destruction of Alderaan. The comic cuts to a club on Naboo that is employing Alderanian musicians and that the lead manager, Madame Paris, hasn't told her musicians that Alderaan is destroyed for fear of their musical skills dropping. Leia and Yvonne land on Naboo, and Leia takes a few stabs at concealing her presence and identity. However, they are soon found by a friend of Leia's father, Lord Jun. Leia trusts the Lord, although Yvonne and Artu clearly do not. June re- Lord June reveals to Leia that he knows of the Alderanian musicians and can get Leia into the club they work at. Yvonne tells Leia she doesn't trust June. However, Leia decides to go with the Lord's plan. The scene cuts to Madame Paris, who is told to keep her musicians out of sight. At the same time, one of her singers asks to send a hollow to her sister on Alderaan and is denied by Paris, though the strain of keeping the plan's destruction is clearly affecting her. Leia arrives at the target club and attempts to enter under a false name. However, she is ambushed by a group of basilisks working for the club's owner. Leia and Yvonne are able to defeat most of the group and receive help from Madame Paris, who begs for Leia's forgiveness. Leia speaks to all the Alderanians in the club, vowing she will protect every citizen who comes with her. She then confronts Lord June and reveals she knows he alerted the club to who she really was. June asks if she's here to kill him, but instead... Leia demands a ship from him that can carry the newly recruited Alderanians. The comic ends with Leia and her fleet headed off to Celest. One of the singers, Tace, speaks via Holovid to her sister and tells her about everything that's happened. However, it is revealed that her sister is working for the Empire and is using her sister to track Princess Leia. Issue number three. The issue opens with the singer, Tace, updating her sister on Leia's exploits so far. Her sister, Tula, immediately reports Leia's location to her superior officer, Commander Dreed. Dreed admits that he is impressed with Tula, but expects her to turn on him when he will eventually give the order for her sister's arrest and execution. The scene cuts to Sullust, where a small conclave of Alderanians exist, 
Their leader, the Preserver, has the Conclave under strict rule. She discovers Leia has infiltrated the Conclave and sends a rifle squad to deal with her. Leia, Yvonne, and R2 are led by Celestin to the heart of the Alderaan Conclave. The Solist reveals that the Conclave has cut off communication with the outside world and are effectively under martial law. The group is ambushed by members of the Conclave, and though they are defeated, Leia reveals herself as the Princess of Alderaan. The Conclave clearly doesn't trust her, which angers Yvonne. Leia meets with the Preserver, who introduces herself as Jorah Estane, and believes the Princess is an Imperial spy. Leia attempts to placate Preserver Estane, and Yvonne snaps at the Preserver, believing that she is throwing away Alderaan's legacy by resorting to smuggling and criminal enterprises in order to keep the Conclave running. As the two argue, the Conclave broadcasts a conversation Tace and Tula are having, exposing the spy in Leia's organization. At the same time, they announce that a Star Destroyer has entered the system and is preparing to assault the compound. Astane attempts to have Leia and Yvonne executed, believing they are Imperial spies. Leia and Yvonne evade their attempt and hide amongst the Conclave's computer terminals. The Preserver orders a squad to wait in ambush for the Princess, as she is not willing to damage the Conclave's equipment. Leia and Yvonne are pinned down by the Conclave's squad's blaster fire. However, R2 arrives and allows the two to escape into the tunnels below the Conclave. As the Empire begins their attack, R2 manages to steal a small shuttle and provoke a rock render, one of the planet's native armored and burrowing creatures, and guides it through a rock wall to engage the Imperial and Conclave forces. Yvonne and Leia rush through the gap the rock renders make and are able to save the remaining Conclave members. The scene cuts to Celestin space, with Commander Dreed aboard his Star Destroyer. One of the commander's aides reports that communications with the ground have ceased, and Dreed remarks that the stormtroopers have been defeated, and he is curious to see where the princess will go next. Back at the Conclave, Preserver Astane mourns the dead, then turns to Leia and announces her as the true princess of Alderaan. The Conclave's remaining forces pledge their allegiance to her. Resolved, Leia states that their next move is to catch a spy. Maybe you can help me. Come on, sit down. I promise I won't hurt you. Now come here. Issue number four. The issue opens in space on Leia's ship, where a joyous Yvonne reunites with Nien Nub. The two discuss Nien's job as a weapon smuggler before presenting his wares to Leia who is impressed with his shipments. Leia thanks Nian and pays him with a necklace belonging to her late mother, but is interrupted as Preserver Astane brings in Tace, the singer from Naboo who is unknowingly acting as a spy for the Empire. Leia and Astane butt heads over how harshly the Preserver is treating Tace, and Astane storms out. Leia sits down with Tace and learns that the singer has been speaking with her sister Tula on a regular basis and has been leaking sensitive information by passing on Leia's location and plans layered in between more harmless topics like her music. Leia believes Tace is innocent and plans to pursue the matter personally. However, Yvonne points out that they are supposed to go to Espiron to continue their reunification plans. Madame Paris explains that Espiron has a large group of Alderanians who are willing to talk with the group. Though they are a heavily militarized group, 
and have been on the planet for generations. Leia decides that Paris and Preserver Astane will act as co-emissaries and attempt to recruit the Esperon Alderanians, while Leia attempts to draw out Tula. She then goes to speak with Tace and asks if she would be willing to lie to her sister, which shocks Tace. On Esperon, Paris and Astane meet with Esperon Council Rill, who introduces them to Alder Esperon Chief Bion Biono. However, to Astane's horror, the chief is half Alderanian, half Esperon. Biono immediately notices the preserver's open disgust, and though Paris attempts to smooth tensions, Astane snaps and says that they do not need dilution of their blood amongst their people, which causes Biono to storm out of the meeting in outrage. Back on her ship, Leia and Tace attempt to learn about Tula's situation. However, Tace is a horrible actor, and Commander Dreed quickly realizes what's happening. He detains Tula and plans to have her executed, which horrifies Tace, as it is her fault. Leia calls Dreed and asks what it would take to release Tula, to which Dreed states the princess's capture would be sufficient. In Leia's room, the princess and Yvonne discuss Leia's plan to turn herself over to Commander Dreed. Leia feels it is her duty to put herself in danger for her people, while Yvonne tells her that her people need her alive in order to help them, and she shouldn't blame herself. Leia prepares to depart the ship, while the crew watches on with grim resignation. On Esperon, Paris attempts to repair the damage that Astane caused with the Alder Esperons. Council Rill states that if Leia herself were here, the, the people might be willing to listen. And Paris promises Leia will visit Esperon personally. As Leia departs to hand herself over to Dreed, she spies an Imperial Star Destroyer hanging in the air above the planet she agreed to meet Dreed at. Above Esperon, the Alderon, the Alderon ship detects something incoming, and the crew are startled when dozens and dozens of ships erupt from hyperspace. Meanwhile, on the desert planet of Skaradosh, Leia meets with Commander Dreed. Leia trades herself for Tula, who tries to thank the princess. As Dreed prepares to take Leia away, he states that Princess Organa is once again under Imperial custody, while Leia smiles smugly to the reader. Darth Vader, only you could be so bold. The Imperial Senate will not still for this. When they hear you've attacked a diplomatic... Don't act so surprised, Your Highness. You weren't on any mercy mission this time. Issue number five. The issue opens on Esperon. Paris spots Chief Biono and attempts to reconcile their differences. However, she is dragged away by Preserver Estane. The scene cuts to Skaradosh, where Commander Dreed is bringing Leia onto his shuttle. However, Nian Nub's ship appears with Yvonne on board, who begins blasting at the Imperial forces. Leia is able to break free and joins the attack against the Imperials. Dreed is killed, and Leia and Tula are able to board Nian's ship and begin their attempt to escape the Star Destroyer in orbit. The Destroyer Captain orders his crew to destroy Leia's ship. However, Nian's ship deploys a decoy, which the Imperials destroy. Unfortunately, the Captain remembers Dreed saying that the Alderanians have a ship over Esperon, and orders the Destroyer to head there to destroy the Alderanian makeshift fleet. Yvonne and Leia note the Destroyer is heading to Esperon, 
but state they shouldn't have trouble evading it with two ships. Leia returns to Esperon and is shocked to see the dozens and dozens of ships that appeared in the last issue. She is told that the vessels are all fellow Alderanians who heard her message and are here to support her. And Leia grimly announces to all vessels to man their battle stations. Elsewhere, Tace and Tula are reunited, and though Tula is ecstatic that she has escaped the Empire, Tace is cold and bitter towards her, as she is disgusted her sister manipulated her. Leia outlines her plan to ask the Esperon forces for help, as they have a powerful navy. However, Paris tells her they cannot rely on them for support, as Astane destroyed their diplomatic ties with the Esperon government. Infuriated, Leia sends everyone but Yvonne out. Leia despairs that every time she tries to fix something, another thing goes wrong. Yvonne points out that since their adventure began, she stopped being cold towards the princess and started to treat her more like a friend, because she's seen how selfless and kind Leia is, and that she's managed to do all of this on her own. Leia begins to broadcast a speech to the assembled fleet and neighboring Esperon. She states that she welcomes all the new Alderanians, but tells them of the Star Destroyer that is en route to kill them all. She states that without support from Esperon, they will perish. However, she states that they will not surrender or back down. As long as one drop of Alderaan blood survives, they survive. As the Star Destroyer begins to attack the Alderaanian fleet and its citizens prepare for the worst, an Esperon warship arrives and begins to pour fire into the Star Destroyer. Though the Destroyer attempts to initiate a counterattack, the Esperon warship overwhelms it and destroys the Star Destroyer. A celebration is thrown on the Alderanian fleet, and Leia speaks to Chief Bionel about why they aided her fleet. Bionel states that her message described the Alderaan he had always wanted, and that the Empire will be hard-pressed to successfully retaliate against Esperon. Yvonne asks Leia what her next plan is, and the scene transitions to Leia's chambers, where she tells Yvonne she plans to return to the Rebellion. Yvonne is distraught that Leia plans to leave, but the princess states that she has completed her mission. Her people are reunited and have new purpose. Yvonne counters that the people need a princess to lead them, and Leia suggests she take the position. The issue ends with Leia returning to the Alliance and the Alderaan fleet heading for a new planet to call their own. All right, and that is the summary of Leia. What did you guys think of the comic? Dan, uh, sure. Uh, <laughs> It was I, I enjoyed it. I remember when it first came out. I think I enjoyed it more in 2015. I think when it came out than I did reading it a second time. I I honestly was putting it down more often than I was reading it. Um, <laughs> but there are points in it and like little artistic choices that they they made and um, plot points they had that I I did enjoy, which did carry it a little bit further. The like the relationship between Leia and Yvonne as it kind of goes through, like she really doesn't care for Princess Leia. Um, at this point and then by the end she does kind of say like you are someone that I can count on and that Alderaan can count on um, which was a really interesting change as she kind of realizes who Leia is as a person not just because she's royalty um, a, few, a few different parts though that I, I really either enjoyed or just wasn't really sure about was when she was when they were escaping uh, between Luke and Wedge I thought that was awesome the little like uh, Starfighter um, entanglement, I guess, between them. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, they they placed something on the top of the the ship, so then it looked like when they knocked it that the hyperdrive wouldn't function, and then she just mm-hmm. hyper hyperspace, and Luke's just like, hey, that's that's layer for you right there. Um, yeah, they pulled a fast one. <laughs> yeah, that was really cool. I really enjoyed that. The other thing is the the look of the ships, the Alderanian ships and stuff, when they all come out of hyperspace. Like, there's a whole bunch of different types of cruisers and things. Like, it looks like there's a Corellian Corvette that's like partially in the middle. It's like a storage container that's been modified as a like a a corridor. Uh, some cool like hyperspace rings, like the ones you see on the Jedi starfighters that's surrounding one of the other ships. Uh, a disc-like looking one, one that looks like a like a really wide-looking V kind of thing. There's some really interesting ones. One that looks like a submarine. Now that I look at it, but there's some, I I I think some of the parts of the comics that I enjoy the most are the starfighter and starship uh, designs, for sure. Um, okay. Neon Nub, having Neon Nub in this book uh, really kind of grounded it in Star Wars for me a bit. Uh, although Princess Leia is in it, there's some scenes where you're just like, what? What's going? Like why? Like yeah. at first you're like, why is Leia really wanting to do this right now? And then it kind of shows like, oh, the Empire is hunting everybody down and whatnot. But yeah, it was overall, I'd say it was a pretty good read. Um, if it was your first time reading it, I can see people enjoying it a lot. Um, and if you're a really big Princess Leia fan, it does give you a little bit more right after episode four. Um, but there mm. were characters like Tula that are, the relationship with her sister was kind of interesting, but I don't know. It was like, I guess, the gullibility of that character was really um, unbelievable for me. Like how gullible she was. I don't know. Like it wasn't clear if she knew that her sister was an imperial or not. I don't think. So I don't know if she knew that she was, uh, like, just an imperial on break or something like that, talking with her sister. Mm-hmm. But um, the one, the one panel that really stuck out to me in this whole thing was near the end, I think it was uh, issue 5, beginning of issue 5, where Yvonne comes down with Neonub and just takes out this massive blaster and just starts laying into the Imperials. That was when they're <laughs> saving Leia at the end. It was really mm. good. I enjoyed that part. But, Ed, what did you think? Well, from the top, it was just the continuation that really had me be like, okay, they really want to go from, just like how Rogue One led right into episode four, they want to have like the end of episode four lead right into this. Yeah. Which had, which got my interest right away. Though looking at through some of the art was kind of difficult, I will admit. Like some of the faces they had there made me laugh more In than the backgrounds, yeah. Forget, and yeah. forget what, what I was actually supposed to be reading. But for the most part, I, I did enjoy Leia. She's not always been uh, like a high-profile character that I follow. In terms of I've just never had feelings towards her whatsoever. Be like, oh, yeah, Leia, let's go follow what she does. Or let's go see what she's in. It's like, oh, yeah, she's here again. Kind of thing is what I always had with her. But, um, this, but from what we knew about her, it was always like, Okay, I know what she's about. I know what she's doing. So when I was, I was reading it and saying like, "Oh yeah, she's an ice princess," I'm like, "What?" It's like, did you? Okay, nobody else was there on the uh, on the Star Destroyer when, or on the Death Star, I should say, when they blew up Alderaan. And seeing her face like that, it's like, no. If any, if anybody's an ice princess, it'd be the last. She'd be the last one which really set me off to be like, okay, I got to see more of this. I got to make sure that she proves all of you wrong. And throughout the story, we see that. 
And Sensu was like, yeah, I'm going to make this long flowery speech so that when the Empire gets here, they take us all out, then you blame me anyway. Or I cut it really short, make sure we all get out of here alive, and you blame me anyway because <laughs> I'm just trying to save all of you. <laughs> and so, like, that's her character in a nutshell. I feel like she's always trying to do something for everybody. And we see it constantly through this where it's just like, oh, yeah, you know, everybody comes together. I know I have to do this. And she's not doing it for the sense of, like, you know, it's because it's my job. She remembers everything that Bale talked to her about. She remembers how she feels about it. You know how she feels. Well, us as readers know how she feels about it. So, like, trying to show everybody else, while it should seem unnecessary to us, it was really well done in the way that she did. For sure. Again, with... Nian Nub, I feel like while you, you're very grateful that they're putting him in everywhere, I feel like they're doing that as a sort of like, yeah, we introduced this guy in episode seven. You probably had no idea who he was. You mean so we're just going to. He was in six? Nian Nub? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's God, good. that's right. He was with Lando on the thing. Oh. <laughs> that one. That yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, that's where I was like, yeah. Random Sullustin number five. <laughs> he was he was in episode seven though, yeah, like very briefly. Yeah, and that's I remember him from that, but it was just like I didn't realize he's one and the same guy. So there you yeah, go. There you go. No, but it Leia for the most part, I did enjoy it reading this one way more than I did Air to the Jedi. So I ought to give it a <laughs> thumbs up for that. I think that's... everybody enjoyed it way more than Air to the Jedi. I actually enjoyed. Ah, that's a hard one. They're pretty close to me, but uh, Noma, what did what did you think about this one? Uh, it wasn't too bad. Um, it's not Darth know. Vader. It, it, it was no, yeah, definitely. It's definitely not Darth Vader. Um, yeah, it's 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 got a kind of weird. It and Heirs of the Jedi kind of share this weird problem with pacing, I guess, where I'm. From a lot of the book, I'm just waiting for something to happen. Because mm-hmm. um, that it's was kind of dragging thing. a little bit, yeah. Yeah, like the first thing with the the first issue where they're setting up the plan and then doing the escape, I'm like, okay, this is neat, but there's no real peril because it's not like I'm, Leia's going to die. Um, and then even in the second one onwards where it's like she's got that thing where it's kind of weird. She's they have the thing where Yvonne's like, oh, we've really got to disguise ourselves better than what we're doing right now. And it's like, no, I've got a veil. Yeah. Yvonne's like that. Yeah, I, I can still tell who you are. We're on Naboo. I know, like... <laughs> the Emperor's homeworld. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, people are going to recognize you. And I'm sitting there being like, yeah, I usually picture Leia as being more competent than this. She's usually the person who'd be scolding Luke for doing that same kind of plan of being like, no, I got a veil. I'm fine. Like no one can tell who I am. Exactly. Um, which Luke does in heir to the Jedi. And apparently that one works too. So maybe veils are their version of the Superman glasses. Maybe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there was one line, uh, that I remember made me laugh, which is at the end of the book. Um, when Leia's talking to Yvonne, and saying, oh, uh, you know, I, I would endorse you to be the new princess, um, but it should be done diplomatically. Uh, you know, wh- whoever is going to lead the, the Alderaan fleet, uh, make sure that it's done in a good, you know, peaceful, democratic way, and don't let Astane win. Exactly. And I was yeah. like, yeah, and I was like, yes, that, like... Makes sense. 100%. She's... Little... 
Yeah, her negotiations are about as subtle as a brick yeah, to the face. Um, yeah, and their so, security was terrible when they like when Leia and Yvonne infiltrated the the place. Oh the, yeah, the person's like, "Stop right there!" and she like just takes him out with the like he's holding the gun right at her and just takes her, yeah, takes the guy out. Im- yeah, and he immediately just goes down. So it's like, uh, I don't think you guys are a crack team. Of, I'm surprised you know. that the Elderanians didn't join the Rebel Alliance. Like as a as a cell, I'm sure they are kind of like that, but they're more of like um, on call sort of. Maybe not even part of the alliance, but just like a a reserve, not a reserve, but like a yeah, like a no, like a, a reserve, yeah, like not not a military reserve. I'm thinking like a nature reserve of all the Ronians. You know what I mean? Like, because <laughs> like that's the whole point. That was the whole point of this is to preserve all the Ronian culture, right? So like. <laughs> Leia's going around and picking up all the Alderanians to put them somewhere that they can survive and create their culture and continue to be who yeah. they are. So it's like it's like a nature reserve for Alderanians. It's the best way I can describe it. I, but, I, I see what you I see what you mean, and I agree with you. But I'm just picturing a bunch of Alderanians behind like grazing. glass, like yeah, <laughs> grazing on the grass. Here, here we see a wild herd of Alderanians. There is what was her name? Astane. Yeah, yelling at her disciples, at her <laughs> local on on wines and sweetmeats. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just I thought that was interesting. Like, um, I didn't realize that there were so many different Alderanians, and there's like half Alderanian race where they're mixed with like a red species of some sort, which mm-hmm. was I thought was interesting because you don't expect that when you're looking looking yeah. for Alderanians. You're expecting like human creatures, right? You're human I people. Mean- not I mean, yeah, Astane certainly didn't uh, like that. <laughs> yeah, she was like pure Puritan kind of thing, right? So yeah. um, she pulled out her inner inner uh, Alderanian supremacist. Exactly right. <laughs> um, other things I enjoyed: the rock render, the creature. The rock render is specifically made for this book, uh, so that's a new creature oh. in the Star Wars universe. At the back of the trade paperback, they have the design of it, which shows you like mm. the eyes, where the eyes are, the mouth, the rock render teeth and claws, that kind of stuff. Um, and the other thing that I noticed too, reading through the book, is Yvonne's jacket she wears is identical, if not very similar, to uh, Luke's jacket at the end, which is at the beginning of this book, at the end of Episode Four, when he's getting his medal. Um, that yellow jacket that he wears over top of his like black shirt, it's very similar. So I'm not sure if it's like a pilot's off-duty jacket or something, because that's what Yvonne is as well. But mm-hmm. uh, it's really it, it suited her actually, because she's bl- like she's almost like the Luke Skywalker of this book. Like, she was really good at piloting. She was kind of skeptical of things, similar to the way Luke is when he's going on missions. He's mm-hmm. like, uh, is this going to work? And, uh, yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Akbar is well-drawn, as Akbar is. Mm. Um, and he never said it's a trap, so that's that's a bonus. <laughs> <laughs> that's a bonus. Hey, now. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was some good stuff, like Leia's outfits as they changed throughout the books. Um, I did really enjoy her cloaked disguise, like just the look of it with the hood um, on on top. It just made her look kind of roguish. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really really cool. Um, but yeah, anybody else have any thoughts on the rest of this? Uh, what else was there? The oh. the only other. Oh. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I'll, I'll go talk ahead. about it in a second. Okay, <laughs> I was just gonna say, like the only other thing that was kind of jarring for me is they. There's a few things that it's a very minor thing, but there's a few things they don't explain as as well as I would have liked. Like I didn't realize during the entire first part that Paris was also Alderanian. Um, 
which I guess is ironic because I don't think we explained that either. Price, um, but uh, Paris, oh, Paris. The, uh, yeah, the the manager of the musicians. They they never mentioned that she's all Iranian. Um, That's so, heavily implied. I guess I was just I was very surprised that when at the end she's like she she ended up with them and I was like oh why is she I didn't there? even You're notice not... that I did not notice that she's like in yeah. the crowd yeah and and then all of a sudden she turns up and she's the like the ambassador and I'm going oh oh um why I didn't realize you were part of this group oh you're um, right yeah wow I didn't I didn't even yeah. realize that was the same person yeah there you go yeah exactly um the one thing that we never talked about is r2d2 is on this adventure the whole way through and the return of murder droid r2d2 where he drives away when they're underground and the imperials are coming to get them he finds this speeder like a mind speeder and like gets these rock renders to like just come out and chase him and then yeah since the stormtroopers are wearing plastoid armor um there's minerals in that and the rock renders are like that's why they attack the Imperials. So there's a little bit of lore there that like it kind of makes sense. So they actually like, okay. eat the stormtroopers, which is kind of frightening. Um, and they like, yeah, <laughs> it's it's pretty good. But R two D two back in action with the the murder droid aspect of him. Yeah, from episode Harkins, three. Harkens back a little bit to um, a little bit of like that episode six vibe where it's like, oh yeah, they're nice little animals, and oh god, they ate the Imperials. <laughs> They where did the heads go from those helmets? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, where did you get that from? Uh oh. <laughs> oh boy. So yeah, that was. I thought that was pretty interesting. Overall, what would we give that? What would you like out of ten? We're gonna start doing this from every episode now, just to see like what our ratings are. Uh, I am right. writing these down on a, a spreadsheet so we can kind of see what we have uh, for the books and the comics. Mm. Um, I've already given my my thoughts on this one. I'm actually gonna. I'm going to change it from what I thought I would give it to to what I'm giving it to. So there you go. I'm going up one point. But Ed, what do you think, man? Uh, Out of ten. Six and a half. Okay. Noma? Hmm. Um, yeah, I'd say six and a half, maybe seven. Um, some enjoyable parts, but it, it is a little tedious and a bit confusing sometimes. Yeah. A little bit slow. Not tedious, but like slow at certain points. Yeah, it was, it's definitely, for me, second time reading through it, hard to get through. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, 6 out of 10. So I'm the lowest, which is surprising. Hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, interest- actually, though. Yeah, right? The interesting <laughs> thing for me was um, having not a lot of things in this book. I think we talked about this off off podcast, but this book didn't really contribute to canon too much, apart from a rebel not a rebel, uh, an Alderanian nature preserve. Like that's pretty much the only thing. And a little bit more mm-hmm. to Leia's badassness. Um, excuse the French, but <laughs> overall compared to like air of the Jedi, where there's more kind of galaxy wide building that way with like Luke and the force and, and things like that. Um, that it wasn't as, it's not a must read for me. Like if you, if you like Leia, I would say it's a possible read, but even if you really like Leia as a character and stuff, it's it's not it's not a, like go out and buy it right now and read it because it mm. wasn't as like you said enthralling and as quick paced and whatnot as as some other comics like Vader or whatever. Yeah, because at the end of the day, you're right. Like 
by the by the end of the story, Leia's character hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. She's she's still the same kind, caring uh, princess who's willing to stand up for herself and defend those that can't defend themselves. Exactly. Um, as opposed to Heir to the Jedi, which I'd argue is only slightly like one or two degrees above uh, Leia, the Leia comic, because like by the end of that one, yes, something has happened, right? Luke has, has grown as a character, but to a degree where it's not completely necessary to read, like you, you could still just watch episode four, episode five and not have missed anything from heirs of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. I think that's it. Anybody else have anything final to say about Princess Leia or Heir to the Jedi? I think we're pretty good, eh? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, let's round it out. start things off uh we can always plug our personal twitters i think we're still at a whopping one of those dan if uh, you can tell the good listeners uh where you're at sure uh you can find me on twitter at daniel j venard that's spelled d-a-n-i-e-l the letter j and v-e-n-n-a-r-d awesome and uh for next episode we are going to be again doing one novel and uh, one trade paperback comic and ed what do we have on the roster for next episode all right so for that novel it's gonna be one of my favorites read through this with you guys and discuss this one it is dark disciple featuring the jedi master kinlan boss as well as and Asajj ventress Asajj ventress in there as well i want to keep that a secret for the listeners that's okay <laughs> <laughs> she's on the cover <laughs> That's she's true. got hair we've never seen her with hair and it looks awesome <laughs> All right. so that's gonna be great uh and then for the trade paperback we have lando his 2015 run and this was a i kind of found this one out of nowhere one day and started reading it and was just blown away by what it's a it surprise could do, so. right it's gonna be a good one so to cover really looking forward to that one awesome gonna be a good episode to look forward to and aside from that, there are, as always, a bunch of ways to get into contact with us. We'd love to hear any comments, critiques, anything that you think about this podcast. You know, we're constantly updating it on a daily basis, trying to figure out uh, what works best for you, what you guys find the most enjoyable to listen to. So if you guys have any feedback, we will definitely take it into consideration. If you want to get a hold of us to let us know, uh, we have an email, which is voiceoftheforce at gmail.com. We've also got a Twitter, which is at VoiceForcePod. Outside of that, there is also a new Facebook page, and that is Facebook.com slash VoiceForcePod. And uh, outside of those three, uh, we've also got a bunch of different podcast sites that we're on. And, uh, you know, listening there, rating, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, and PocketCast is always appreciated. You know, reviewing helps with visibility, and we definitely appreciate any reviews you guys leave. Um, rating is always nice. We'll take five stars. Uh, <laughs> not that we're, yes. you know, conceited, conceited about. If there's a one star and you have a, an honest to goodness qualm with our show, let us know. And if oh, you yeah. prefer, we prefer if you emailed us first specifically and let us know what that qualm is, 
because then we would love to fix it. That's our that's our mm-hmm. whole stance. We would love to do what you guys want and girls want to listen to as a Star Wars um, podcast covering literature and canon material. We want to make it interesting for you. So if for some reason the dulcet tones of Noma doesn't uh, <laughs> doesn't fly for some reason and you need him to, I don't know, be standing on his hands to do it, let us know. We'll we'll I, do it. We'll make sure that Noma is on his on his hands and I, uh, doing handstands. I don't I don't remember reading that in my contract, but I'll consider it. <laughs> you should have read through that contract before you signed it, man. <laughs> mm, yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Because you know, uh, like Dan said, a, a small part of why we're doing this podcast is because you know we enjoy it and we like doing it. But a big part of it as well is we want to entertain people, right? We, we want people to have a good time listening to this and enjoy the content that they're getting. So if there's any ways that we can improve upon that, definitely let us know. All right. And I think that wraps everything up. So from all of us here at Voice of the Force podcast, this has been Temple Archives, episode three. We'll see you guys next episode. And may the force be with you. Yeah, you're keeping that as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just have that for the end. I love the pauser just in case I didn't want it. <laughs>